everybody, Tyler Smith here. Uh, another another uh, mini-sode, this time talking about the Best Picture winner for the year 2001, Ron Howard's A Beautiful Mind. But before we jump into that, I will welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hi there. How you doing? Doing pretty good. All right. Glad to hear it. So we've all got places to be. Everyone. Let's, we we got to get going. Let's get to it. You may recall... Uh, l- the last mini-sode in which we talked about uh, Chicago, um, I said that we were in a bit of a period of meh when it comes to best pictures. And then I sort of talked myself out of that in regards to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is no longer the case. Um, we are now firmly in that <laughs> place from a best picture standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, A Beautiful Mind, winner of best picture, director, supporting actress... And adapted screenplay. Now, here's what I'll say. It's a fine movie. It's well done. It's inter- It's an interesting story. Um, Ron Howard is a, an, an immensely capable director. Um, I like a lot of what he does. He's, he tends to be very straightforward. And he will do what the story requires. Sometimes that means if the story is small, like Frost Nixon, then he'll keep things small. If the story is huge, like Apollo 13, he'll do that. I kind of like that about him, that he is pretty much unfazed by whatever it is he's going to do. And so I think that's kind of great. Now, with A Beautiful Mind, it is a biographical film. And so he's following this man who is brilliant, but also has major mental problems to the point of even uh, hallucinating and he's he's schizophrenic basically and so uh, a good portion of the film takes place inside the character's head and I feel like that is a very interesting way to approach this story particularly because Ron Howard chooses I think wisely to shoot the fantasy stuff which seems outlandish, but he chooses to shoot it in a, in just as much a straightforward way as anything else while also, uh, embracing like the air of mystery that the character himself must be feeling mm-hmm. as opposed to really making it clear that, Hey, we should be disturbed by what is happening. Yeah. I feel like it, it, it tries pretty faithfully to, uh, to let us live in his world and believe these things as much as he believes them. Yes. And so that is to the film's credit. I think the acting is also very good. Uh, this was, uh, the third straight nomination for Russell Crowe. He was nominated in 99 for the insider. He won for gladiator. And then he was nominated again for a beautiful mind. Um, and so he was, this was like right when he was sort of at his peak and at his most, uh, high profile. Um, and his performance is very good. He's required to do a lot of things with this character, and I think he achieves them all. Uh, Jennifer Connelly won Best Supporting Actress uh, as his uh, long-suffering but supportive wife. Uh, that is a hard character to play because mm-hmm. yours is the less showy role. Yeah, but you bear the you bear the emotional brunt of most of the film, especially when we're dealing with a character who has mental problems because. You're a, you know, you're a, this sounds mean to people with mental problems. Like you're a normal person who, who processes things in a normal way. Mm. And so 
you're sort of the audience surrogate, but the audience surrogate is never the fun or interesting character. It's the one who we're just like, ugh. Yeah. And he's emotionally stunted in a lot of ways, too. So she yeah. has to, like you said, carry the weight. Yeah. And I think she does that very well. So, yeah. it's And then um, Ed Harris and Paul Bettany play some very important characters. I, I mean, should we talk about spoilers? Or, I mean... Uh. It is 13 years old now. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm fine. I'm always fine with it as long as we warn people. Yeah. Okay. So if you've not seen a beautiful mind and you're listening to this, we're going to spoil something. I know it sounds (laughs) strange that a, that, you know, uh, a a biographical movie would have spoilers, but, uh, this one does. And maybe that's to, maybe that's to its credit that it is that sort of thing. Um, and chooses not to be uh, a typical biopic. So if you've not seen A Beautiful Mind and you don't want things spoiled, then uh, turn this off and and return to it after you see the film. Uh, That said, I will say uh, Ed Harris and Paul Bettany play hallucinations. They don't actually exist. And that seems particularly rough for an actor Mm -hmm. to play somebody who seems like they could exist but in actuality only is only a projection of somebody else. So what must, so you're really almost playing an idea of a person and the film wants you to believe at points that they are real. So part of their job is to, um, is to play a role that's ambiguous enough that it could be either one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, to end to the point that when you discover their hallucinations, you feel bad. You feel, especially with, with the Paul Bedney character who is the, the protagonist's, you know, roommate or yeah. seeming roommate and kind of a guy, like his best friend for a yeah. while. And for him to not exist, it, it is a bit of a gut punch and it feels like, Oh my gosh, it's not merely that he's not real. It's that somebody that I, as a viewer was invested in, never it doesn't even exist yeah it's not even that you have a friend who died and now you can't talk to them anymore it's that they literally didn't exist that's yeah. a there, there is a there is a weight to that realization that the film understands mm-hmm. um and that's the thing from an emotional standpoint i think the film uh does what it's supposed to be do what it's supposed to do and uh and that's you know that's a good thing uh but by and large i think the film is pretty forgettable and I think very, very simple. Um, one of the things that bothered me um, about it at the time and, and bothers me now, even though now I can admit that it's still a very well done film. I just Ron Howard is a dependable. He's more than competent as a director. Yeah, I, he I will, agree. He will always make your, a film not merely watchable, but engaging. So A Beautiful Mind is not a bad movie. I do think that it takes something as complex as mental illness and, of course, schizophrenia, which is maybe the most complex mental illness, and it makes it really simple and easy to understand and easy to differentiate. These are the uh, once it's established what is a hallucination, what isn't. Um, now, Howard directs it in a way that it, it is a shocking revelation to us, but once that's established, it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, these people in my life are hallucinations. These people are not. And now, now all I need to do is keep these people in mind that if I see them, they're not real. The end. Uh, but I do know, and I know that to a certain extent, that's what John Nash did is he just had to live 
with his illness and he had to manage it and he didn't want to do it with, uh, you know, drugs or medication because that dulled his mind and he was in fact quite brilliant. And so he just had to manage it. And that sounds, and there's a, there's a certain bravery and I, and, and I admire him for that, but it almost feels like once he makes the decision to manage it, it seems like it's the easiest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And something that I know from, you know, stuff that I've dealt with and stuff that, that other that I, people I know who've dealt with one type of mental illness or another is that they're very adaptable. Um, if, if you, even if you use medication, somehow the, the nature of being ill one way or another is it sort of snakes its way around that if it can. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like his, his struggle with his schizophrenia is handled too neatly. Yeah. And when I compare it to another film that admittedly, um, a lot of people don't like, but I think when it, it deals with this type of material and that's David Cronenberg's spider, Mm-hmm. which I mean, I, I think you saw it. We watched it for movie night. That's I, I didn't see that one. Oh, I missed okay. that one. The night we watched spider and crash. Uh, no spider and the fly. Are you sure? Cause I saw the fly when we watched it, but I didn't see spider. Uh, maybe, well, we watched it in one night. Maybe you were late or something like that, but I remember maybe. we, we, by which I mean me, <laughs> I thought it was very clever that we would watch spider and the fly. Uh, I don't think we watched crash or at least maybe I wasn't there for that. Um, and so, uh, that's David Cronenberg's crash. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a very different film, by the way. Keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, the next time you go to a video store that doesn't exist. So, um, and speaking of which beautiful mind, uh, <laughs> so, okay. Spider is a film that in many ways people find boring and repetitive, but I think it is so messy and, and, disorganized the way it must be to be someone dealing with this. And really it's not merely that some things are real and some aren't, and that it's hard to tell the difference. It's, it's this idea of there's, there's no such thing as memory because memories are just as real. The past is just as real right now as the present. And so someone that could be dead, you have to, you'd have to remind yourself that they're dead but they're here talking to you. And now what do I do with that? And it's just, and the, the toll that that would take on someone, I think is very tangible and very frustrating and rather horrific. I mean, it's worth noting that David Cronenberg started in horror and then he makes this film that mm-hmm. is strictly speaking, not a horror, but boy, it sure is scary at times. It, it makes me, it made me scared of mental illness. Yeah. And that's um, also consistent with, Cronenberg's idea of the body turning against you. Absolutely. And this one, you know, and while I am particularly scared of the idea of what happens if the body turns against me, but my mind is just fine. And mm-hmm. I'm, and now the, the body is this uncooperative shell where my mind is. That is, that is maybe scarier to me, but the idea of losing your mind, which is, I would, I'm, I would venture to say that your mind is who you are. Hmm. Um, and I mean, I guess we could get into like the, the nature of what a soul is, but that's, uh, we'll put that aside for the time being. Um, and so if your mind is broken, then you're broken. And so I feel like spider deals with that in a much more visceral way 
than a beautiful mind. And I think they came out around the same time within a, within a year or two of each other, I think. And in spider is not a perfect film, but if you were to watch this and that, I feel like you have an image of two deeply disturbed men and one, and it's again, the most complex and one of the most disturbing mental illnesses you're likely to find. But one film is clean and easy to digest and the other is most certainly not. And I feel like if you're going to make a movie about this stuff, you need to be willing to go where it's going to go. And so I think that is a script problem because as I just said, Ron Howard willing to go wherever he needs to go. Mm -hmm. So whereas Akiva Goldsman and the, the film did win best adapted screenplay. Yeah. And I've never been a big fan of Akiva Goldsman ever since he wrote Batman forever. Oh, and interestingly enough, there is somebody with multiple personalities in that film and Akiva Goldsman chooses to, there's a lot of problems with that movie, by the way, <laughs> but, uh, uh, two face in theory has two personalities. He has Harvey Dent and he has two face. Uh, this is expressed by him saying we, when he, when anyone else would say I, that's, that's basically it. That's it. Oh. And then there's a scene where he wants to shoot Bruce Wayne. So he flips his coin and it comes up, you know, good heads. So he's not going to shoot him. So he flips it again. Good heads again. He flips it again until he finally gets bad heads. And he's like, Hey, all right. He doesn't say that, but that's basically <laughs> it. And then he shoots Bruce Wayne and Parham's like, okay, so clearly he, he's not of two minds. He wants what he wants and he's going to flip this until he gets it. Uh, so that's, so he's not crazy stops, but he's saying this we thing. And it's just, it, it, it was in my opinion, a fundamental misreading of that character hmm. and a mere two or three years after Batman, the animated series did two face the best I've ever seen him, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so Akiva Goldsman, like he came out of doing, uh, of ma- writing very mainstream films, regardless of what I might think of the scripts themselves, he came out of writing very mainstream films. And so for him to tackle this, um, material in, in many ways by, by, uh, shooting the, what we come to know uh, by writing the, uh, what we come to know our fantasy sequences by writing them the way he does. I think that is an, an interesting achievement, mm-hmm. but I feel like, again, once that has been established, it's almost like the conflict is over that. Yeah. I don't know. It just, again, it's, it's a messy, scary, sad, heartbreaking disease. And I didn't feel any of those hmm. during a beautiful mind. Um, still a good movie, still very easy to watch, easy to engage in, but best picture. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> Especially. Okay. So what I, I've, I've spent a lot of time talking about this film. What do you think of it? It's been a while again, since I've seen it. Um, but I feel like it, it didn't have a huge effect on me. Like Mm -hmm. I I thought the reveal was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I like anything where there's kind of a question of, uh, kind of a question of perception, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, how do you know what's real and what's not real? Like something that just questions, uh, how you approach reality. I feel like those are always interesting things. Um, that's one of the reasons that I liked, uh, total recall, which we've talked about on the show before. Oh, I yeah. think, um, 
So, so I liked that aspect of it, but, um, I did feel like it was a little simplified. Um, I still do think it tries to play up how, uh, how the disease is hurting his family at least. Uh, yes, there is that, uh, because he does, uh, there, there is one scene that is shot very well and edited very well. Like it, it, there's no polish to it. It's, it's that messiness that I was talking about where his baby, like all, I think almost drowns in the bath because yeah, cause he leaves the bathtub running. Yeah. Because, and when his wife says, what are you doing? He says, Oh, Ch- Charles has it. And that's Paul Bettany's character. Like in that moment, it's not merely that, oh, the hallucination is back. It's that he forgot it was a hallucination. Yeah. And that that sequence, I'm glad you brought it up. Um, I wish the film had been more of that. Yeah. Because those are the moments that I remember. I remember yeah. that scene. I remember there being ones where Ed Harris is trying to convince him that, uh, of course, everyone would say that he was a figment of his imagination. You know, yeah. and, and I felt like that one worked out pretty well, too, because... Uh, it kind of it goes to that thing that I like about questioning what's real. Yeah, and you are you are by that point on the side of believing that it's that it is all fake, but it, it gives you just enough to doubt a little bit. Yeah, which I think I, I, th- I thought was interesting. Um, but one th- one thing I do remember uh, I didn't love about it that I don't even know if this is even a. a <laughs> any kind of important criticism, but I feel like why he was a genius was very unclear to me. Yeah, that's, and I, I felt like the movie kept telling us, don't worry, he's a genius. But yeah. I was like, I don't know why, like, I don't, I don't understand why. And maybe that's because the stuff that he was a genius about is it's economics, right? Uh, yes. But I mean, through you know math and right such. yes which is as boring yeah. as it can possibly yeah. be i literally just said it you know through math and through such math and that's stuff. me so clearly i don't well, think i would have gotten it no and i think that's i think the film anticipates its audience's attitude in that way and knowing that it's going to be it's going to be pretty hard to sex up yeah uh economics through math yeah <laughs> they already call economics the boring science like so uh, so maybe that's why they kind of stay away from that. But I did feel a little bit like I'm just having to take their word for it, that he's a genius and I, and I don't understand why. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, another, another issue that I have with the film is one that I, I'm not sure if I ha- have it quite as much as I did then, because I think my thinking has changed when it comes to telling a true story. Uh, I don't think I'm of the opinion anymore that uh, that if you're going to tell a true story, you, you should tell all of it. You know, obviously you can't tell all of it. You can't go into a lot of detail about the type of genius he is mm-hmm. um, and his theories and that sort of thing. Um, but apparently, I mean, there was he, John Nash, the man, had some some stuff that could very easily be put. He behaved in a way that could be put down to him being ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently he said some, I think some anti-Semitic things. He, mm-hmm. I think had like a, a, a gay encounter with, with somebody. And so there's some, there's some stuff going on with him that obviously 
it makes sense why it wouldn't make the film. And Is I wonder, like, he divorced that wife later in life, too? Well, okay, I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. uh, that stuff, I'm okay with leaving out. You don't mm. have to do everything. Yeah. You know, if you yourself are inspired by us, by the fact that this guy who who is brilliant, but it, the thing that was best about him, which was his mind, was also the thing that was hurting him, and he learned how to deal with that, but that it was a struggle. That is a very inspiring story. And so if you want to leave out other things, I'm, I'm actually okay with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is a big subplot. It's not a subplot. It's a major plot about he and his wife and the fact that his wife never leaves him, that she, it's a hard time, but she's going to stay with him. And she's very supportive. And that's another issue in the film. That's that's another aspect of the film that's meant to be inspiring. In real life, the two got divorced uh, not long after he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, I think she still stuck with him uh, and helped him with his disease. But I, I think she didn't want to be his wife. Hmm. Uh, and then I think they got remarried once he once he got everything worked out. And I think once he won his Nobel Prize or whatever. <laughs> and here's the thing. Maybe she was, maybe she literally for, for maybe health insurance reasons, who knows, who knows? I'm not going to cast aspersions on her motives, but what I will say is that like the film itself, I don't know if, if that's not the real story that maybe she wasn't supportive, maybe she was genuinely scared away by his disease and didn't want it to be a part of her life. That's a huge component of the film. And if that, but apparently that could just be completely fictional. Yeah. And so you're inspired by something that may not actually be there. And that's yeah. something that bothers me too. But maybe it doesn't bother me that much. It bothered me a lot at the time. Mm. I don't think it bothers me as much now, but it does, it feels somehow disingenuous. Well, I feel like it leads to an interesting question, which is what is that irresponsible in the film? Is that irresponsible to take a true story, uh, use that story to inspire people Mm. to you're essentially showing people a real life situation where things seem bad, but can be good in these ways. But if they weren't actually good in those ways, are you using something that shouldn't be inspirational to be inspirational? And is that irresponsible? I'm not sure if I'd say it's irresponsible, but what I will say is, wouldn't it be interesting if in the film she can't handle it and divorces him and he has to deal with this on his own. And he does. Hmm. That's a different type of inspirational. Yeah. The kind that is, I'd say what the film is primarily about, but they wanted it to be this other thing too. Mm -hmm. And when they want it to be this other thing and the other thing doesn't, didn't actually happen. And you're just making up that inspiration. I don't know if I'd say it's irresponsible, but it does seem for lack of a better term, lazy. Hmm. Like, does it really need to, does this need to be inspirational in every way it can, it potentially could be, hmm. or I don't know. And that, I think that's the thing is that it's a, it's a film that has in many ways a very mainstream and I don't necessarily think mainstream is bad, but it has a very mainstream populist appealing, uh, mentality to it. And I think that informs a lot of the things about it that I think uh, make it worse yeah. than it could be. Which then at the same time is maybe the exact thing that makes it more likely to be a Best Picture winner. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Good call. And we will transition into this. The other movies that were nominated for Best Picture 
In the Bedroom, Moulin Rouge, Gosford Park, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. All right. Uh, we'll start with Moulin Rouge. Uh, it is a very ambitious film, and I respect it a great deal. There are parts of it that I respond to tremendously. Uh if you were to ask me today, do I really like the movie? I'll, I'll say yes. If you were to ask me tomorrow, do I really like the movie? I might say no. It's that <laughs> kind of movie for me. Yeah. But I do... I'll say this, and you can take this however you want. It tries to do something... There's no movie like it, to my knowledge. I mean, it's, it's trying to do something that you just don't run across. And mm-hmm. uh, consequences be damned. People might love it. They might hate it, but this is the movie we're going to make. I respect that a lot. And I think that's, that's a good way to make movies. Um, I can't decide if I respect it or not. I know I don't like that movie and some people hate me for that. Some people adore that movie. Like it's, I feel like it's a weird thing for me when there's a movie that I know people love that I really don't like because that doesn't happen very often, but this is one of those ones. I really do not like Moulin Rouge. I don't like what it's doing with the songs. I, I think the love story is very shallow. I'm, I'm not engaged with those characters because I feel like there's so little to them. Uh, I like Jim Broadbent, but that might just be the fact he, that I like Jim Broadbent. Well, he's fun. Like he's, yeah. he's a fun part of the movie and, and Richard Roxborough's fun too. He's the villain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about him, but, um, Jim Broad, Jim Broadbent's doing the, one of those things where he's just kind of playing around and he's, yeah. he's, he's a little enjoyable to watch, but, uh, the whole movie is kind of that, and he's the only part of that that is working. It's mm-hmm. all spectacle. And for, I think for the most part, that's what Baz Luhrmann is trying to do. Maybe in all of his movies is just do all spectacle, do big, huge spectacle. And I haven't seen the great Gatsby, but I've been told by people that I respect that I would, that I would like it. Really? That looks so bad to me. Of course I don't, I just don't like Baz Luhrmann. So, yeah. um, so I don't know. That's if it had won best picture, part of me would have been like, wow, the Academy is branching out and going with a musical that is just screaming in their face. That's yeah. really something. Uh, but I don't think I would have been happy with that, especially with the slate of movies that came out in 2001. Yeah. Uh, in the bedroom is a wonderful, amazing movie. <laughs> the, the polar opposite perhaps yeah. of Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, Todd field. It was his debut. Mm-hmm. He's not made a lot of movies since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's stripped down, it's bare, it's raw. I'm engaged with all of the characters. It's about a, a couple of parents who lose their son to murder and trying to deal with that. Yeah. And I think it's fantastic the way that they deal with it. And yeah. that's one of those movies, maybe I've said this somewhere on the show before, but I love the way that it ends because I feel like it changed the way that I think about how a movie can end. Really? Interesting. Yeah. And, and I was, what, 18 when this came out? So maybe 19. Um, no, I guess 18. Yeah. So it was still early in my, in my knowledge of film, but yeah. just the, and I don't want to say too much about it because this is one that I feel like not as many people have seen, but I feel like it's one people definitely should see. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's a film that, and it's interesting because I wound up seeing it alone in the theater mm-hmm. and it's, and so afterwards, all I wanted to do was talk, but I had no one to talk to. So it was just in my mind for a long time. It's a, it is a wonderful movie. Listeners, yeah. if you haven't seen In the Bedroom, go see it now. Uh, Gosford Park, 
a movie that when I first saw it, I thought it was fine. Second time I saw it, I thought, okay, all right. Third time, I thought it was wonderful. I thought it was an absolute masterpiece. I think it's a pretty good movie, yeah. Um, Robert Altman, at his mm-hmm. most Robert Altman. Um, <laughs> I since took a... Right around the time that Gosford Park came out, I actually took a class on Robert Altman and John Cassavetes. And one of the things that we talked about is that he's the anti-genre director. He'll work within a genre and then subvert all the things about that genre. He yeah. makes Dr. T and the Women, which is a chick flick that's grossly misogynistic, on purpose. Um, <laughs> he makes... McCabe and Mrs. Miller, a Western that takes place in the North and is full of cowards. He makes uh, Popeye, a kid's movie that's ugly and hard to watch. Uh, he makes, uh, you know, MASH, the anti-war war film. And then he makes Gosford Park, the whodunit that I remember Altman himself said, it's a whodunit, but it's more like a who cares whodunit. <laughs> the guy who died, it really doesn't matter. This is more of an... Uh, uh, an exploration of class that is uh, a throwback to the rules of the game. Yeah. I, I really wish that I had seen the rules of the game before I had seen Me this too. movie. I think it would have so, I, I would have enjoyed it so much more that first yeah. time, but it does stand on its own. It can. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't need to have that historical yeah. context in order to enjoy it or to get something out of it. Yeah. Wonderful music, amazing performances, uh, just the most amazing cast. Um, I think that's the first movie. Is it Kelly Rollins or Rollins? Uh, hang on. Am I saying the wrong the, name? The, yeah, I think so. The Scottish girl. Yeah. It's not, uh, it's Kelly something, but now I can't remember. I didn't, uh, yeah. have that. I don't have that in front of me. That's the first movie I think I ever saw her. And I was like, she's good. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a marvelous cast. And I think it might've been the first thing I saw Clive Owen and I thought he was great. I think it might've been for me too. Um, but yeah, Gosford Park is just, I'll say this. It's hard to watch cause you go in th- again, this is, the nature of Robert Altman, uh, you go in thinking you know what to expect, but he subverts it. Like, there are character types, but they're not exactly the archetypes that you think they might be. It's not, this is not Murder on the Orient Express. This is a very different kind of thing, and it's, I love it. I think it's amazing. Okay, Lord uh, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. We talked about this uh, a few minisodes ago. Um Kelly McDonald. Kelly McDonald. That's who it was. Maybe the most Scottish name you've ever heard. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, this is, I think, the best of the three. And I remember at the time, it kind of bothered me. It's I don't know. I think I might have been just a, a contrarian. But it bothered me that didn't it didn't end with a sense of finality, even though I knew that there was going to be more to it. I felt like, well, this should be able to stand on its own. I don't think that anymore. I think that's a dumb opinion. Um <laughs> But uh, it's funny as we go further back on these, we're encountering our own dumb 18 and 19 year old opinions. Boy, oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. Just wait till we get to 99, 98. Um, Oh, wait till we get to Titanic. Yeah. Because I was 15 (laughs) and I I was just mad that Titanic could beat out Star Wars at the box office. So I was, there was no way that movie could win in my estimation. We'll we'll get to the, we'll get to that, but I've got a fun story about the, the Golden Globes. Okay. So, yeah, uh, Fellowship of the Ring is a wonderful, marvelous film that puts us in this world, uh, and I feel like I'm transported. I like spending time there. Just like I said with Return of the King, I've start. We have. We are about two minutes into talking about Fellowship of the Ring. I want to go and watch it right now. <laughs> um, it's just that kind of movie. Mm. So, okay, of these nominees, what would you pick for Best Picture? it's hard to say because I think 
in the bedroom is definitely my favorite of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like Gosford Park a lot too. And Lord of the Rings, like you, the, the yeah. Fellowship of the Ring is my favorite of them. Now you don't know that <laughs> in 2001, you don't know that yeah, there yeah. are two movies out that I'm not going to like as much. Um, and it's hard to want to hand best picture to that knowing, well, the Academy is going to give that, give it to it in a couple years. Right. So I don't know with, with that hindsight, it really is hard to try and make a, a an un, un, uh, unaffected, uh, I don't know, make a, make a pick that way. So I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like you can give it to in the bedroom, Gosford Park or Lord of the Rings and I'd be fine with yeah. any of them. I think I think I'm fine with that with any of them. I feel like in the bedroom seems too small and Lord of the Rings almost seems too uh, too fantasy really for yeah. for Oscar. Like that seems yeah. unusual. So I can Gosford Park seems like the type of movie that would win. Yeah. And that I think I'd be more okay with. And it's yeah, and and since we're making this plea from an Oscar standpoint, it's by a proven director who is kind of a legend in Hollywood. People knew it was probably going to be his last movie, but it's also if they were to give him best director, which they didn't, they give it to Ron Howard and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, but, uh, if they had given it to him, one could say, Oh, it's for his career, but it's also for a great movie. It's also yeah, for a great Robert Altman. movie. I, when a, when a filmmaker, cause, cause this happens a lot when there's somebody who's old and they're making a movie and it's like, well, you don't know how many he's got left in him. I think that's one of the reasons that departed. Yeah. Uh, one, although the people didn't, <laughs> I think people, Maybe that's why Martin Scorsese started making better movies. He was like, no, no, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not dying yet. Um, but this, this is one of, I think Gosford Park could easily be one of Altman's best films. Uh, yeah, I think it is. So for him to come out with a film that late in his career, that is still very much his type of film. He's not like changing to, to fit what people are liking nowadays. Yeah. It, it's still very, uh, it still shows him as an auteur very much and it's very effective. Um, so it, I, I, I'm more upset about him not getting the director one, I think. So now but, the question is looking at a few of the notable movies that came out in 2001. Uh, it was a good year. It was a good year for genre. I'll say that. So there's a lot of movies that were great that I don't think are best picture material until we get to the Royal Tenenbaums, hmm. which admittedly for the Oscars might be viewed as a little too quirky, but and it astounds me. I was, who was I talking to? I don't remember who I was. I think it, I was on another podcast and somebody mentioned, um, and no offense to him. It's fine. I understand Wes Anderson is an acquired taste. I don't even love him that much, mm-hmm. but I think Royal Tenenbaums is a masterpiece and I think it's his best film. And I, I don't think he's ever going to beat it. Um, he could, you never know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I thought that you Tarantino was never going to beat Pulp Fiction, but Inglorious Bastards sure does come close. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Royal Tenenbaums, I mean, it's quirky, but I think it's a nice ensemble anchored by a strong lead performance. I think it's very well written. There's a lot of heart to it. It's funny. It's touching. It's 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 all these things. But well, and it's it's not quirky like to be quirky or it's not quirky because it's, it, it wants to appeal to that certain yeah. mentality. It's just it, it is a unique vision. Yeah. And I feel like we should applaud that rather than say, no, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's. And it was nominated for one Oscar, which was uh, original screenplay. And it's, which it lost to Gosford Park. So, mm-hmm. yeah, all right. Um, but it's, 
a marvelous film that deserved to get a lot more recognition. I think it's it's just one of those things that let's say let's say Wes Anderson had made two more movies before Royal Tenenbaums and had been sort of established as he's not going anywhere and oh now he's working with Angelica Houston and Gene Hackman and mm-hmm. Danny Glover. Okay, there's who is this guy? This guy who's a bit more established. Let's let's do something here. Yeah. I, he could have been the Alexander Payne. Um, it's weird because if he were making that movie today, yeah, I'd say that's a very potential best picture winner. Yeah, but he absolutely. couldn't have made the movies that he's making now unless he had made that movie right. first. So yeah. it's a catch twenty two. It's just one of those kind of things. And so, uh, so I feel like of these uh, of the other uh, notable two thousand one releases, I feel like that one actually could have been a best picture nominee, but maybe not that year. Yeah. Then of course you've got Mulholland drive. I, I go back and forth on whether I think that could have been a best picture nominee. At least it, it couldn't win. It's too weird to win. David Lynch right. is just, he's, he's never going to win a best picture. But the thing that gets me, and this goes to what I was talking about before, which is best director. Now, as much as I'm bothered by the best picture win of a beautiful mind, I like Ron Howard. I think he's a very good director. He was not nominated for Apollo 13, and I think he maybe should have won Best Director that year. Yeah. Um, what year was that? 95. So that was Braveheart, mm-hmm. which was a bit of a juggernaut. You, you weren't going to beat that. But at yeah. the very least, from a directorial standpoint, Apollo 13 is virtually perfect. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that later. So I don't mean to crap on Ron Howard. I think he's, again, a very good, more than capable director. Yeah. But... Other nominees were Robert Altman, Ridley Scott, who I don't think, I think has lost a step over the years, mm-hmm. but not for Black Hawk Down. Yeah. That's a brilliantly directed film. Yeah. And then you've got Mulholland Drive nominated for Best Director. That best, Ron Howard winning Best Director is, I think, more of a problem for me. Yeah. Because just look at what is there. Yeah. And I feel like that. I think Todd Field was nominated as well, but I'm not sure about that. That might be. Oh, it might have been Peter Jackson. Now that I think about it, oh, that's true. I think yeah, it was maybe. probably that. Um, but like, I, I feel like that's the Oscar that I want David Lynch to have won. You know, the one for the most David Lynch film ever. Yeah, yeah. like I, I feel like it's going to be hard for him to ever win an Oscar. But and and I don't know what he's going to do from this point on. Who knows? Uh, seem given them eventually giving him lifetime achievement. Maybe, maybe, but. I don't know. This is one of those films. Uh, Mulholland Drive is one of those films that I, I I feel like we didn't understand even maybe how important it was at the time. And now looking back on it, you're like, that oh, film is an achievement. Oh, at the time I hated it. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. A lot of people did because yeah. it was so well, you know, the 18, again, the 18 and 19 year olds in us would have been like, this is too weird. Oh, I don't. I don't walk back from any of the stuff I said about it. I just view that as a positive instead of a negative. I yeah. still think it's as pretentious as you get. But now I like that. <laughs> Whereas at the time I did not. Yeah. Um, and, and I went in actually really wanting to like it, but then it just, the film doesn't do you a lot of favors. Yeah. It's, it, I, I feel like there's something to be said about that film that when you, especially if you don't know a lot about David Lynch and I didn't, when I first saw it, mm-hmm. when you first see it, you're like, what is this? Like, yeah. wh- what is going on? It, it subverts everything that you expect to be happening in a film in general. Yeah. Um, and yet it sticks with you so much and we, th- and it makes you have to redefine your expectations from a film. Yeah. Which I think is fantastic. I feel like it's fantastic when a movie can do that and still w- without being just, 
totally oddball experimental because it's not that that it has that element but it's not it's more than that here's a fun game (laughs) okay i like to announce when things are fun (laughs) Um, that's how we know can you imagine a beautiful mind directed by david lynch in the mulholland drive style which it could it could be we're dealing with someone who cannot uh, separate uh, fantasy from reality can you imagine it i mean i was talking about david cronenberg earlier can you imagine david lynch doing this yeah. it would be suddenly a beautiful mind's one of the best <laughs> movies of all time <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah maybe i i feel like at the same time yes i can because that's that's where that's where david lynch deals is is this yeah weird uh th- that world that i like that questioning reality thing yeah. but i feel like when there is a clear answer as there is in the true story of a real person that he was yeah that he did have schizophrenia that doesn't interest david lynch so much yeah. <laughs> like when there's a clear answer that you know he's he's imagining these things but they're not actually real i feel like that just doesn't david lynch is like well that's that's boring to him somehow so at the same time then i can't see him even being interested in that story well i'll tell you what story he was interested in the The straight straight story story. (laughs) um i will bring up and this is more of a best picture uh, best director than best picture uh memento came out this year and that's a movie it was nominated for editing and uh, original screenplay and uh, it cleaned up at the independent spirit awards oh, yeah. once again, knocking David Lynch out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, that's sad, but I, at the same time, the indie spirit awards are a bit of, a, I, I won't say they're a joke. I think they do some good stuff, but they're not what certainly these days are not what they're, what they used to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, memento is, is a film that, uh, now that we know what Christopher Nolan is, uh, and what he, what he became since then. But if you watch Memento, he was always kind of like this and directorially, yeah. I think it's an achievement. Oh, definitely. So, um, so I, I feel bad that we spent more time talking about director than picture, but the two often go together. Yeah. And oddly enough, part of me feels like if a beautiful mind won picture, but they gave, okay, ad- I'm not thrilled with the screenplay either. I don't like that it won adapted screenplay. It could have gone to any number of other things, including in the bedroom, by the way. Um, mm. But if, if a beautiful mind in one picture and they had given director to Altman, Ridley Scott, Peter Jackson, if he's the one nominated, I think he was, um, or David Lynch, I think I'd be more okay with it. But somehow there, there's something about, you know, picture director, supporting actress, adapted screenplay. Like that's a big, that's a even though that's only four, it's four major categories. And that is the Academy embracing this film and saying, what a, you know, what a great movie. Um, but it does seem like awarding a, uh, an establishment director like Ron Howard, mm-hmm. an establishment producer like Brian Grazer and, uh, and a film that is, it's inspiring. It's everything that the Academy likes things to be. Yeah. But in the process winds up being a movie that is, middle of the road not remarkable there are memorable things about it but the film mm-hmm. itself is not one that i ever return to if i return to, and there are easily between like five to ten movies from 2001 that i that my mind returns to regularly yeah i look down this list and i'm like there's a lot of these movies that yeah if somebody were like you want to watch that right now i think i'd be like yeah. i yeah. mean monsters ball came out that year and that's yeah. a really great movie in a lot of ways yeah um, but yeah. And so I don't, I don't necessarily like to crap on a movie like beautiful mind because again, v- very well made. And while you're watching it, it's fine. 
and it's engaging, but compare it, 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 as we've said in the past that the Academy looked at this and looked at this year and said, clearly this is the best movie of the year is mm-hmm. just ridiculous. Yeah. But, uh, okay. This has gone on too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> had enough by which I mean the entire podcast. Uh, so, okay. The next mini sode will be about, I mentioned Ridley Scott, uh, will be about Ridley Scott's gladiator and that will be an interesting discussion. I'm sure. So tune in to that and Josh, thank you for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>